0: We laugh, we cry, we learn, but really, what doesn't kill you makes you better at managing clients and everyone. I'm Morgan Friedman, and this is Client Horror Stories. Hey everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Client Horror Stories. While we have a lot of software developers and digital marketers um, on, I'm excited that we're branching out into different professions to see what everyone can learn because being a professional is being a professional. And I'm honored that to have Liz Farr from Far Communications to tell us a CPA story today liz great to have you on
1: thanks morgan it's it's a pleasure to be here and i think that even though this is a tax problem i think that there are lessons that apply to just about anybody who's in business and who works with clients
0: i i agree and i think and before we jump into the story which i'm excited to hear one of the things that i've learned in um in my career and also from talking to everyone in these client horror stories episodes is that a lot of the principles of professional good behavior document things be transparent deal with problems translate into any discipline under the sun
1: they do they do they really do so
0: what so tell us about a client horror story that you faced once upon a time
1: yeah well these days i'm a cpa and a professional writer but for 15 years i worked as a cpa and mostly did tax returns Um, a cpa for your non-us listeners is a certified public accountant And one of the main things I did was prepare tax returns for clients. Mm -hmm. So this was about 2006 when John Smith, I'm just going to call him that because honestly, I have blocked out his real name. I don't even remember (laughs) his real name but i always called him our irs tax dodge irs stands for the internal revenue service which is the tax administration part of the federal government so mr john smith walked into our office in new mexico he had just moved to new mexico from pennsylvania in pennsylvania he had sold this 200 acre farm Um, and the total was probably about $2 million he got from it. Um, He sold it in pieces, about three or four pieces. So some of it, he got the proceeds outright Um, Some of the pieces were sold on real estate contracts, which meant he was really financing the sale and the buyers were paying him over time. Right. So he needed his tax returns done. Now, normally when a new client walks in the door, we ask for their tax returns from the last at least Last year, and we try and go back about three years. And the reason we do this is so that we can just kind of look and see what kinds of things they have on their tax returns generally. And to see if there are any opportunities for us to get back some refunds, um, to make some changes. and sometimes they're, they have activities in prior years that have repercussions for the future. They're tax attributes that carry forward. So we want right. to make sure that we're capturing all of that. And so when we asked him for his tax returns, he kind of kind of chuckled and kind of said, ha, ha, ha. Well, they're, they're in a box somewhere. I, I haven't completely unpacked yet. And so I was like, okay, so he gave us a big pile of stuff and we started working on his tax returns. So
0: I I have a question. Before we get into you doing the actual work, I always think it's useful to identify red flags so so that we can learn. So you mentioned one red flag, which is basically ask for the account history and he, and, and, he, and he wouldn't give it to you. And like, and in, in any profession, like you get a, you take over an online advertising campaign. Hey, can I have access to your Google Ads account? Ha ah, ha ha ha, no, sorry. Like, hmm, why are they given to me? Like, has their account been banned? What happened? So that's one red flag. I, I think there's another, there's some other red, subtle red flags hidden in there. You mentioned often that he, responded with a joke rather than seriously. And some and while Mm -hmm. I love telling jokes, sometimes on sensitive and legal issues, when you turn things into jokes, it kind of implies to me that you might be hiding something. Like there's a time and place for humor and there's a time and place for seriousness. Um and
1: yeah.
0: And I actually a third red flag I want I want to mention just just to get your just to get your um your thoughts on this one. I would have also thought like at a 2 million dollar sale especially if this was a few years ago when when like that was even more than it is today like not having an accountant to deal with it already like is like wait how could you do something so big without an accountant in hand that feels like a third yeah. to me
1: yeah that that really should have been a red flag because frequently accountants will establish a relationship with their clients that can last decades. Right. And it may not really matter that the client has moved out of state or maybe the accountant has moved out of state. They can still stay in touch. They can still maintain the relationship. So yeah, it was kind of odd that here he was kind of this real estate agent and kind of property developer and did not maintain his relationship with the accountant in Pennsylvania. And you know, as as will be revealed, there was a reason why he did not have a relationship with an accountant that he could bring with him.
0: I, I like your hinting for the excitement that's to come like a true storyteller.
1: Yeah. So anyways, you know, um, he brought us the stuff. He had reinvested the money that he got into some land in New Mexico so part of it he was building a house on and part of it he was building roads and subdividing so that he could sell so he was doing all this stuff and he brought us his documents you know it was a combination of the kind of tax reporting documents that go to the IRS. So that kind of, there are some documents of transactions that are reported to the IRS, and then we get a copy of them. And so the IRS checks to make sure that their records match what's on the tax return. They, they do this matching. And if they don't match then they you get a nasty gram from the irs and they say Um, that that's a technical tax term by the way
0: i assume so
1: yeah and so if if things don't match and they'll tell you, hey, you left off this income, Um, we've gone ahead and adjusted your account. And so you owe us an extra $2,000 or whatever, you know. And if they're right, then you just say, okay, write a check, done. Um, So he had a combination of IRS documents and then these handwritten notes now his wife was the one that seemed to compile all the records and the best way to explain it is she kind of used a sheet of paper like it was a spreadsheet so up in in one corner she would have the property taxes and she'd draw a little circle around it and she'd have you know the label and then a bunch of numbers and then over here she'd have like utility bills and draw a little circle around that. And then over here might be phone bills, you know. And so we got this sheet of paper with just, you know all these little kind of circles and squares and filled in with numbers and labels and just kind of, you know, we couldn't really tell if it was right or not.
0: So I I have a question which is mostly about my ignorance or which is How sketchy is that? Because I feel like in 2021, like, everything's online and spreadsheets, so that's weird. But I'm old enough to remember the world before computers and, like, my parents Mm -hmm. having sheets of paper like that. So maybe if someone's older and that's just how they've always done it, like that, that might not necessarily be sketchy. But I'm not an accountant, so we're like, what is...
1: that that was not desirable this was 2006 so it was a few years ago and there still are people who keep their records that way or maybe they will give you a shoebox of receipts or maybe envelopes of receipts they'll just give you a hodgepodge and we're we try to discourage that, but sometimes that's the best way you can get the information. Okay, so
0: so maybe that wasn't a red flag, but a yellow flag.
1: <laughs> kind of like, you know, there was never there were never any receipts to back up any right. of this, any documentation. So we couldn't really tell if they were just pulling these numbers out of thin air and writing them down or going through a checkbook register or other records. We really couldn't tell. Um, But I've done tax returns for people who have given me comparable stuff. Yes. And usually it's kind of like, "Eh, I don't know, but, As a CPA, we have to assume that our clients are being honest and forthright. That's sort of our professional standards, to assume that they are being honest. But if we see something that doesn't make sense, that contradicts something else that we're getting, then it's our responsibility to investigate, to question the client to ask them about it, and to see, you know, it, it's always up to them what they want to do about this discrepancy. But if we feel that they're behaving in an unethical manner, then it is also our responsibility to say, I can't work with you anymore. But what's so...
0: I want to do a quick parenthetical on that because I find this interesting, which is one of the themes of the podcast that I'm very interested in is what is professional behavior? And you made a point that I had never consciously thought about before, which is you said that as a CPA, it's one of your professional obligations to assume your clients being honest mm-hmm. until the weight of the evidence shows that they're not. And I mm-hmm. never thought of that as a pattern because I think maybe I'm just very cynical. So I'm very skeptical of everyone from day one. But thinking about it, like you go to the doctor and your new doctor asks your medical history. And the doctor has to assume that you're just not inventing your medical history out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Like 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 mm-hmm. it has to start from this position of assuming that you're that that you're uh, that your professional client is, um, is honest. And, and I like that. I hadn't wired that
1: in until right now. Yeah, well, as a CPA, that's part of our ethical professional standards. Those are, that's our ethics that we have to adhere to. And so it's part of being a CPA that we have to do that. It's it sort of boiled in. That's what we have to do. So, you know, anyways... So back to the story. Yeah, we continued this pattern for a couple of years. Um, He always filed his tax returns by mail. Keep in mind, this is 2006, so we still had a lot of clients who were filing by mail. You know, they like to get their print out of the tax return and sign it with a pen and then put it in an envelope and go to the post office and stand in line and mail it. And they'd like to do that. So having, you know, a request that, no, I don't want to electronically file it. I want to mail it in. That was not, not any kind of red flag. That was like a nothing for us. Right. Okay. And Every year when it was time to do his tax return to start working on, I'd ask him, so did you ever come across those old tax returns from Pennsylvania from, you know, from before he started working with us? And I kept asking him for them and he always had some kind of excuse like, oh, you know, that must have been in the box that got lost or never found them. Maybe we threw out that stuff when we were getting ready to move. Yeah. Who knows? But we never, never, never got them. And after a couple of years, it really became kind of a moot point because a lot of those tax attributes have a lifetime and they expire. So it was like, well, you know, if you had some losses you were carrying forward. They're gone now. Too bad. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it continued for a couple of years like that. Um, this guy would come in and he was kind of a character. He really was. He, one of his hobbies was this thing called cowboy mounted shooting. And if you plug that into cowboy Google. Mounted- Yeah, if you put that into Google, you'll get these videos on YouTube of these cowboys in these arenas, and there will be these um, stakes with balloons on top of them, and they gallop a horse down through this pattern around these stakes and shoot with a gun. I, I don't know if it's a BB gun or what, but they shoot the balloons out as they're riding. And your score is based on what? time and accuracy. Yeah, it, it, this really is a sport. There's a lot of really bizarre sports that have to do with horses.
0: There apparently are bizarre sports. Maybe someone else should start a podcast on the weird sports out there.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. he was a character. You know, he'd come in in his cowboy boots and, you know, talk about the horses. You know, and it was like, okay. You know, and once he even brought in a copy of a magazine for this sport so that we could see this, and I'm like, okay. And uh, one time, one of the partners in the firm was in Phoenix and decided to go to this rodeo just kind of for the heck of it because they didn't have anything else going on. And there was John Smith over there on his horse. Galloping down and shooting out balloons.
0: It's, it's incredible to me, the things that people are interested in and do for fun. Like, this is yeah. a whole other type of diversity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, as time went on, another red flag kind of came up didn't seem like he was paying the estimated tax payments that we were setting up for him. You know, in, in the U.S., if you are not having taxes withheld from your paycheck as an employee, then it's your responsibility to make quarterly estimated payments where you sort of guess what you're going to owe next year. And these are usually based on what your tax bill for the prior year was. So, you know, it didn't seem like he was making them. It was really hard to tell if he was or he wasn't. And so, this was kind of a red flag, but he kind of hemmed and hawed, or he would say, well, I'm sure I did. You know, I'll get you those canceled checks or something. And so, we kind of go, okay, well, maybe he did, you know? He's got a lot going on.
0: in, In general, a lot of hemming and hawing could be at least a yellow flag. And I also want to point out people repeat questions or requests that are important if you ask someone something and they hem and haul whatever but if you ask it four different times and like there's always an excuse or or reason like the repetition adds seriousness to it so that that makes the light yellow a dark yellow or the light red a darker red
1: mm-hmm. that's that's about right And so, you know, this kind of went on. Now, Since he had sold this property in Pennsylvania and he was still getting payments from the people who were buying it, that meant that he needed to file a Pennsylvania tax return. Yes. Because he's getting income from Pennsylvania. Yes. And so one year, I remember very clearly standing there with him and showing him all his tax returns and all the the vouchers that we'd made for his estimated taxes. And we said, okay, and here's your Pennsylvania return. He grabbed it, that Pennsylvania return, and ripped it in half in front of me and just said well that's what i think of that's what i think you, ripped, it, I you think. ripped up his tax return yeah and i thought, well that's a little weird you know you you should be filing no you know that's so kind of weird
0: wait. so ripping up the tax return changes it from like a red flag that's something wrong to like the bomb is off like normal people behaving normally never never do that like like that ripping up is this it's a literal fu to the irs
1: right right the pennsylvania department of revenue so
0: okay to the pennsylvania right yeah
1: so so you know this 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 was getting a little weird this must have been about 2010 and Wait, so, so we're getting
0: so question that was such a bomb like the other ones okay you could put up with the warning signs but with that one did you say to him why are you doing that are you not going to pay it what's happening like did you did you did
1: you address it with him i didn't address it with him i was kind of in shock and i was not the one making the decisions because that was really the partner the owner of the firm And so I told him, and he just kind of, hmm, it's a little weird. Hmm. But it was just kind of a hmm moment for him. So anyways, the big red flag, the bombshell, the bomb really went off one morning when I came into work. And our receptionist said, Hey, there's an IRS agent in the conference room that, and she wants to talk to you and Carol. Carol was another tax manager in the firm, another tax person. And so I, you know, put my stuff down and got Carol and we went in there. And we're like, you know, we have, we had no idea what was going on. We had no clue. And so this IRS agent, who is a very nice young woman, said, I am here because of John Smith. And we're like, well, why? And she said, I'm here because your names were on this power of attorney that we had for some other tax matters. A power of attorney means that the IRS can talk to us as tax professionals as if we they were talking to the taxpayer themselves. So we kind of step into the shoes. And we like to do this because we we're a little more careful about what we say. We're a little more circumspect. And so we know the taxpayers' rights, we try to make sure that they're protected. Yes. And so we're like, okay, yeah, I guess. You know, we remember doing that for something. Okay, sure. And turns out, she said, and she dropped the big bombshell, he hasn't filed a tax return in 10 years.
0: In 10 years, he never filed
1: it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then, and then bombshell number two, and this isn't the first time he's done that. He did that no. back. He did that once before. He, he had a habit of filing his tax returns every 10 years. Then the IRS would catch up. So she gave us all the documentation for the first time. And we could see that, yeah, he owed about 100000 He had to take out a loan to pay it off. But he did pay it off. And it was, it was a really ugly kind of thing. So she said, well, based on the information that we have, which is basically all the income, but without any of the deductions. <laughs>
0: right. Which were on paper anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, with just the income. Yeah. And adding in penalties and interest, it was about 250000 that he owed. Oh, no. So we we're kind of in shock, but she gave, us, she gave us a ton of documentation and said, you know, here, because I figure you guys don't know anything about this. So here you go. You know, so anyways, um, we called the tax partner and said, so this is what's going on. So apparently, he had been getting our tax returns just because his banker needed them. No. Yeah. So to lend him money to to buy more land. So that
0: that is a funny twist at the end that while he never intended to pay it, he still wanted the papers done, not for the government entity, but for the bank entity.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen that before. There was another client I worked with who kind of did the same thing. He didn't file tax returns for, I think, 15 years or something. And then he passed away. And at that point the IRS pounced on his sister, the executor of his estate and found out, well, yeah, he did have tax returns for the first few years. um, But they were really just prepared to show to the bank because this particular guy invested in real estate. He was kind of a slumlord. He would buy real estate, rent it out, sell it buy some more, rent it, sell it. You know, it was just this kind of chur. Right. Um, anyway, so this is, this is not that unusual. But still. Wow. So, it, it
0: def- this, so this bombshell happened and you told the partners and then you called him up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we called him up. He came in the office and we said, so um, the IRS came to visit and they informed us that you hadn't filed a tax return in 10 years and that their tally of what you owe is something like $250,000. So how do we fix this? Um, the IRS agent said, you know, the, the first thing you have to do is get all those tax returns to me. You have to get them all to me. And so, you know, when we told him that, he just kind of went off into this rage and this incoherent rant about the government and this is illegal taxation and they're just taking all of his goods and Taking advantage of these working people and it's illegal, and you know, just this incoherent rant. And we're just like, Holy cow, what is going on? Wow. Yeah. So eventually he calmed down. And so we started working on getting the IRS agent the tax returns, you know, the ones that we prepared, that was easy. But there were about four years worth from before he came to us that were between the last time he'd gotten in trouble with the IRS and when he'd come to us. There was about four years worth. He had actually prepared those and he had or he'd had them prepared and he'd given them to the IRS agent that he'd been working with and they were supposed to be filed but they never did you know who knows who knows what happened but anyways we tracked down his attorney from way back then who actually had copies of those tax returns and we got them and put them in our software now those old tax returns were handwritten and so there were math mistakes and we had to fix everything yeah but anyways we got all of that taken care of um and we whittled down the amount he owed from 250,000 to about a hundred thousand so that was, that was a big thing that we did. That was really a big deal.
0: That's a, that's a, a lot of savings. I want you as yeah. Mike.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, so we got all of that to the IRS agent. Oh, yeah. And
0: so curious to know, did he file it or did he go another 10 years so you got it to the IRS agent. So and
1: what we happened? got it. We got it to the IRS agent, and she she processed them, put them in the system, and said, "Okay, now we have to make arrangements to pay this debt." Okay, and he he went into another rage. I'm not going to pay that. I don't have the money. You know, I don't have anything. You know, all my money's is is locked up in this land that I bought. I can't. I don't have access to it. I don't have. You know, I was like, okay. And so, if you can't pay your full amount due to the IRS, then the IRS has alternative methods of resolving that. The main one is this process called offer in compromise or OIC. And what this is, is the IRS will get a list of all of your assets, all your financial assets, your houses, your boats, your cars, artwork, collections, anything you have, they wanna know about your credit cards and the balances on them. They wanna know if there's any room to take a, a cash advance anywhere um because and then and they will evaluate all of that together with your other sources of income they really have kind of a formula where they figure out how much they can extract from the assets you have and your income and give you enough to live on it's not going to be luxurious living they want this to be painful right um but then it's it's a formula yes and so you can make an offer that is a compromise of what you owe but you know the first step is to fill out this paperwork for the IRS that lists all of your assets, all your financial assets and bank accounts, all of that. Um, so we said, okay, you know, you need to do this. You need to fill this out. And he he went into another range, said, I'm not gonna do that, not gonna do that. I can't do that. And we said, Well, that that is the next step in resolving this. You know, you either write the IRS a check for a hundred thousand dollars or make payments on it, you know, make arrangements to pay it off over time, you know, whatever. But if you want to reduce the amount that you owe, this is the first step. This is what you have to do. And he went into a rage and said, I'm not going to do that. And didn't hear from him. So we figured, you know, He's pulled up stakes, you know, and and it was about that time that our firm accountant, the one who kept the books for the the CPA firm, came to me and said, you know, he hasn't been paying our bills. He owes since, you know, he had been paying our tax bills every year until we got into this mess. All the work that I had to do in getting all the tax returns together and working with the IRS and checking the numbers, all of that added up to about $4,000 worth of work, which he hadn't paid. She had been sending him registered letters. They were coming back unopened or refused yeah and it seemed like he had pulled up stakes he had gotten his mail to p.o. box a p.o. box was gone um she even sent our lawyer we had a a lawyer who would do these kinds of collections for us sent him out there could not find him he just kind of vanished So, you know, it should have been a red flag to us that somebody who isn't going to pay the IRS might not pay our bills. So so before we started working on resolving this tax mess of his, we should have said, okay, you need to pay us a retainer to do this. You need to pay us you know, a thousand dollars a month for the next four months, or whatever.
0: I think this last point is an important and underrated learning or class of advice, which are
1: people that are um, that are cheating
0: other people. They're going to turn and and cheat you as well, mm-hmm. and it's very easy to forget that you're caught up in the moment or you think it's different you know the numbers are bigger right. or smaller but right. but it 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 inevitably happens
1: yeah yeah so anyways we didn't hear from him we figured it was kind of out of our hands it was going to be up to the irs now to Seize his property, track him down, do whatever they needed to do to collect on this debt. But our hands were clean. You know, we were like, you no, know, we can't, we can't help you anymore. And then one day we got a phone call from this guy who said he works for um, tax relief now. Um, back. Then, back about 10 years ago, there were all these companies that sprang up to help with resolving your tax debts. So, they would be on late-night TV. You'd have this (laughs) 1-800-GET-TAX-RELIEF-NOW. That's Um, right. Late-night TV. And they would always say, you know, get your tax Bills resolve for pennies on the dollar. And they would mislead the people into thinking that they had some special in, but they really didn't have anything other than the process I explained with the offer and compromise. That was that was all that they had. They didn't have any anything else they could offer. And a lot of these companies would collect a big fee up front, you know maybe five thousand dollars, but wouldn't do anything with it. They would just right. you know nothing, nothing would happen and so he said, Well, we just started working with this John Smith, and we noticed that you're on his power of attorney, and he'd worked with you guys for a long time. You you know, your name is on all these tax returns. And so we're wondering, you know, we have to fill out this financial form. Since you know him, we're wondering if, you know, once we get it filled out, we could just kind of run it by you so that you can make sure we're not missing anything. And we're like, okay sure why not you know we we can we can help you with that I guess you know I'm not sure who is going to pay us to do that but okay um we never heard back from them so I suspect that they didn't have any better luck in getting them to fill this out than we did we never we didn't hear from them then and then did you, it was, did, you
0: hear, did you hear from him again or did he just vanish
1: oh one more time one more time there is more
0: but wait there's more
1: there's more yeah he called us up and he said the the IRS is garnishing my my retirement payments he was getting social security payments, which is the U.S. federal retirement system. So he was getting those. And the IRS was taking a portion of it out to pay his debt. And he said, you know, they, I made a deal with them that if I get them my tax return for this year, if I get up to date, then they will stop garnishing my social security. And we said, I said, okay, but you're going to have to pay us up front for that. And you're also going to have to pay us for what you owe. And he was just kind of like, oh, okay, fine, fine, no problem. So he said, you know, I'll, I'll be there in two hours, you know, fine, whatever. So I went to the firm bookkeeper and said, okay, he's coming in. Um, how much does he owe? And we're going to tack on an extra thousand to do his tax return. Right. So he came in and I gave him an invoice for $5,000. And I said, You have to pay us this much before we'll do anything. And he just kind of, I don't have that kind of money. I can't do that. And I'm just like, Okay. Sorry. Sorry. You know, I, I want to talk to, 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 to the partner, I want to talk to the owner. I was like, "Okay, yeah, fine. Call him up. I'll bring him in." And he just said, "No, nope. we're not doing the work if you don't pay us. Just business."
0: Wow, this is this is a good story. We got a lot of lessons and the red flags um, uh, while you're telling it. One question. I have at the end is looking back on it now in retrospect, with the 2020 hindsight and the okay. sophistication of more experience that you have now than you had then. At each point throughout the process, is there anything that, in retrospect, you think you should have done differently, um, or oh, yeah. what? What are, what are some of the key ones?
1: Well, you yeah, know, we would have said okay well if at the beginning we would have said well if you can't give us your tax returns then can you give us power of attorney so that you know if you can't find them can you give us power of attorney so that we can get the IRS transcripts all the records the yeah, we can get we can um, get them that would have been something to do and then he would have been able to then he would have said oh well um hmm there's a problem here um (laughs) filed a tax return for a few years and we said okay well let's let's get you up to date you know that Uh, that would have been a big thing right up front um uh, and another
0: i i I just want to comment on that i think that's a really good one and i think in Extrapolated version of that is when you start any sort of client engagement to have a few mandatory requirements. You have to do A, B, C, D. And if they only have A, B, and C, but not, but not
1: D, to say no, it's just it's just fundamentally risky if you don't have D, or if
0: you don't have D, there's the alternative D version one, D version two, D version three, but um, but I think I think with experience you learn the power of having policies like that.
1: Right, right. You know, and the the other thing would have been to and when it when it was looked like he wasn't paying his tax, his estimated tax payments it would have been probably good to say, so why aren't you paying them? Do you need help? What's going on? Is there some explanation? We really do need to know that you are paying these. We need documentation. And if you're, if you can't provide us documentation, then we might not be able to work with you anymore because we expect you to do that. So that would have been a reason to just say, no, we're not work- working with you anymore. You know, And certainly when he tore up that Pennsylvania tax return in front of me, it would have that was like okay, fired.
0: Yeah, I should th- have
1: should have fired him.
0: Tearing up your tax return, your accountant just prepared in front of your face, like it definitely definitely feels like a, uh, feels like uh like a, a fireable expense uh, okay. a, a, a event. <laughs> they, accountants talk about taxable events we can talk about fireable events.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I actually, I want to comment on that, I, on the fireable offense, uh, or the fireable event of tearing up the tax return, which is a challenge I've seen a lot of professionals have, is people kind of want to be nice. So if someone, mm-hmm. so I've been in situations where you've seen the other person do something completely assholish and terrible and disrespectful, implying they're gonna break the law and not pay, things like things like that. And because everyone around them just wants to be nice and no one wants to hurt anyone's feelings, you're like, oh, okay. And I think one of the challenges of being a professional is like there are times when you just have to like be put your foot down. And say and say no and like if there's ever a time for, like that's one of them,
1: right? Yeah that that really should have been a fireable like event, um, you know. And I have to think that the only reason that the partner didn't. Fire him for that was because he still had this friendly relationship with 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 John Smith and was still thinking this was fundamentally a good guy.
0: Right? Because it's that's an interesting point. Because you, when someone is a bad person, you never discover it overnight. It's not like it's not like suddenly. Oh I' my name's really Adolf Hitler. I never told you that. Uh, 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 instead, instead you trust someone and then there's just this very slow and steady progression of reveals. you're like, oh that was a nice. That was a nice, that was nice. And because because of the slow and steady reveals of not nice behavior, it usually takes a long time before you kind of like, wire them all together be like wait a minute actually my judgment on him was wrong he's not as nice as 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 nice as i thought Mm -hmm. it it feels like a very Mm -hmm. it's a little bit like a flaw of human nature
1: yeah yeah you know this if i had my own tact practice today he probably would not have ever become a client, mm-hmm. especially with the, the shoddy record keeping that just wouldn't have worked. Um, totally, yeah, that, yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: This has been a great story to wrap up any other general lessons or changes or uh, or advice on on how to deal with the clients that uh, that 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 you want to share on top of all your wonderful insight that you've shared thus far
1: the big lesson is trust your gut instincts
0: That's that's a good one
1: yeah and don't ignore the red flags because they will just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, And the other thing to remember is your clients are not your friends. I think that was the reason why he remained a client of the firm so long, because he was friends with the owner with the partner and so that, you just that,
0: that's actually a good one and that's also very underrated advice um, as well and I think when you work very closely with someone like often a client and a professional work deeply hand in hand and you spend a lot of time together it's natural to uh, like to become friends and especially if people have like mm-hmm. uh, compatible personality types it's, um, it's very natural and it's often hard to remember that as friendly as you become, it's just really important to still have that, have that boundary between you mm-hmm.
1: two. Yeah, yeah.
0: This is, this is great advice and that's a perfect one to uh, end the end this show on.
1: Oh, perfect, good. Uh,
0: this, this was wonderful thank you Liz uh, uh, for the time I enjoyed this story and, um, and I hope you enjoyed telling it and I hope mm-hmm. all of the viewers uh, enjoyed, enjoyed listening to it as well
1: well I hope that the listeners get something useful out of this and learn to not make the mistakes that we did
0: Lesson number one if you're going to rip up your tax return, don't do it in front of your accountant. <laughs> do it behind their back.
1: <laughs> wait till you get home, maybe.
0: Wait, wait till you get home. Exactly. <laughs> this was fun. Thank you. Thank you very much. To be Thanks
1: a good- so lot. <laughs>